Hello, and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're talking to Ryan Hamlin from Forbis, and we're talking about uh, hidden leases and some other lease topics that are in GASB 87. And uh, this is a relevant topic also for the federal practitioners. Uh, how to account for leases going forward. A lot of changes happening out there, so we think you will all enjoy it. And uh, let's get to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Okay, so today we're going to have a more technical topic, but I think it's something that's going to be relevant to a lot of you out there. Uh, definitely, if you're in if you're in state and local government, it will definitely be relevant. And even in the federal world, there's some analogous uh, pieces to it here. So we're going to be talking about uh, embedded leases or hidden leases or lease accounting a little bit in general um, from a GASB perspective. And to do that, we have our special guest today, Ryan Hamlin. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? Doing great, Paul. Thanks for, <clears throat> thanks for having me on. Um, you know, congratulations on the, the 100th episode, by the way. That's a... Uh, pretty great accomplishment oh thanks yeah thank you very much yeah i guess you'll be uh 102 or three in there so <laughs> you can be one of the fir- early yeah, hundreds. Just, i just missed it yeah that's right, that's I'll, right. I'll be on helping set you up for 200 so. there you go awesome uh well yeah well thanks for joining us today uh why don't we just start off you know let folks know about yourself what do you do where do you work um and then we'll kind of go from there yeah sure so <clears throat> As you said, uh, my name is Ryan Hamlin. I'm a manager in our advisory practice at, at Forvis LLT. Uh, so for, for those you know in the audience that, that haven't heard yet, uh, Forvis was formed uh, by a merger of equals between DKD and DHG. Uh, we were officially, that was officially formed on June 1st. And so I've, prior to the merger, I was obviously with DHG for since 2013. Uh, so this merger kind of positions us as the the eighth largest accounting firm in the country, and you know it's been really exciting to be kind of be a part of that merger, uh, see the opportunities that that are really kind of starting together, come together for not only just for our clients but but also for our people in general as well. Um, so a little background about myself, you know I've worked with clients in a variety of sizes, a variety of industries, um, from Fortune 100 banks and insurance companies to the regional firms, government agencies, government contractors. Um, I actually started my career with, with Lockheed Martin before moving into to public accounting. And so my focus with Forvis has primarily been on large-scale software implementations, so specifically surrounding implementations of, like, say, an ERP system like Oracle or SAP. Uh, both from an on-premise and in a cloud in the cloud. Um, so you kind of think of things like your your general ledger, uh, APAR modules, fixed assets, planning, consolidations, reporting, things like that. Um, <clears throat> typically, those are you know 12 to 24 month long projects, give or take, given the level of complexity, how many entities there are, uh, things like that. But in between those projects, you know, projects, and especially since you know 2017 or so. I've gotten the opportunity to lead to six to ten different adoptions of the new accounting standards. So this has involved developing a new lease review process, helping organizations update their current documentation, uh, implementation of a new lease accounting software solution, right? So working through that data migration of moving all of 
an organization's leashes into the tool, running through testing of the journal entry calculations, testing of the reporting that's, excuse me, that's generated to support um, your disclosures, as well as the development of a new control matrices. So, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's exciting work. You get to meet a lot of people and you're really kind of helping drive value for, for your clients, both from an optimization and uh, an efficiency standpoint. Great. Well, very pertinent to our topic today. Um, so speaking of the, the leases there, so you did write an article for the AGA Journal, uh, one or two back here. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, what was the subject of that? Why did you decide to kind of write a, an article on leases? Sure. So um, I wrote an article on, on hidden leases. So it was in the, the spring 2022 uh, magazine called hidden, hidden Leases and Tips to Find Them Under GASB 87. Uh, so as I mentioned, over the past couple of years, you know, I've either led or assisted different organizations with adopt, adoption of the new standards. So each one of those organizations kind of chose a, a different software solution. <clears throat> they were a different industry. They had a different volume of revenue. But the one thing that they had in common is that they all had asked about embedded leases. You know, right, what are embedded leases? How do I find embedded leases? Do I really have to look through all of my different contracts? So embedded leases are kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know, like the boogeyman of lease accounting, right? So it's giving everyone headaches, uh, both in the public and private sectors. And so, you know, we were looking around after a conversation with one of our clients, and I just, I didn't see a ton of guidance out there about it. Um, you know, I, there are some, some articles here and there, but there wasn't a lot out there. And so I knew it was something companies were struggling with. And honestly, I think, you know, a lot of that problem is just, it's just this fear of the unknown, right? The thought that there could be leases <clears throat> hidden inside regular contracts throughout your organization, you know, probably gives a lot of leaders, a lot of heartburn, you know, contracts that you, you never thought you needed to look through or never thought about reviewing for a lease or potentially having a lease in it. Uh, so I figured, you know, maybe it's time to, to write an article about it, you know, something that can help shed some light on this topic, maybe outline a process that organizations can follow, really just try to take away some of that, some of that fear of. of sure. So, so specifically GASB 87 is what we're talking about here. Um, maybe just refresh our memory at a high level. What are some of the you know, things that it requires, um, and then we'll kind of get specifically into what an embedded lease is. Sure. So GASB 87 <clears throat> kind of outlines the requirements for, for what is a lease, um, how leases should be reported on the financial statements, and the disclosure requirements for organizations. So the GASB came out and kind of followed suit after the, the FASB ruling came out for 842 for, for public for companies. Um, and so GASBY actually took a, a slightly different path uh, from, from the FASB here. So GASBY 87 defines a lease as a contract that conveys control of the right to use another entity's non-financial asset as specified in the contract for a period of time in an exchange or exchange-like transaction. So that definition is kind of broken into three parts. <clears throat> you have the, the control of an asset, a period of time, and in exchange. Uh, so we'll start with the easiest definition, right? A period of time. So a period of time, uh, that could be a day, 
could be a week, six months, 50 years. Um, it's really just the period of time that the lessee would be responsible and have control of that asset. <clears throat> With an exchange um, or an exchange-like transaction, each party gives and receives something of approximately equal value, then that's gonna help you meet that definition. So for example, if you have a government agency that's leasing a, a parking garage from, uh, from a vendor for a hundred years for a dollar a year, that's not gonna qualify as a lease. Uh, that agreement could say it's a lease and it won't qualify as a lease under this definition because the value of that parking garage is far greater than you know, that dollar you're paying for it. So because that's not seen as a, an exchange of approximately equal value, we're not going to qualify that as a lease. So finally, that kind of brings us to control of the non-financial asset. So control has kind of two definitions. You know, the first being, are you benefiting from the use of that asset? And then the second being, do you control the right to use that asset? Uh, the benefit, again, you know, this, is, this one's pretty simple. So are you benefiting from the use of that asset? Are you getting something out of it? Uh, if yes, then you're going to meet that definition. Are you able to, then the second piece of it is, are you able to control kind of for what purpose and how you're using that asset? Um, so one important note I want to state here is, again, with GASB 87, control does not necessarily mean uninterrupted control. So you can still meet the definition of control if you're sharing that asset, say, with another entity or you only have control of that asset part-time. So in, in your contract, if it states that you have an asset, let's say from Thursday through Sunday, let's just, I don't know, it's like a truck or something, right? You have control of that asset for Thursday through Sunday. You're able to receive the benefit from using that truck and you can control how you use that truck and for what purpose you're using that truck. So how far you're going, how far, you know, there's no restrictions on mileage. There's no restrictions on what you're delivering. Um, you're going to meet that. You're going to meet that control definition, even though you're only having that four days a week, and you're not having that all the time. Um, an asset can be explicitly or implicitly identified within a contract. So, an explicitly identified assets are, are clearly stated, right? So, you could use. I might say you have access to use five trucks with VIN numbers one, two, three, four, five, right? All five of those trucks have been explicitly stated in the contract. Implicit assets are not. Uh, so they're implied with the within the contract because you could not complete the terms of the, that contract without the use of an asset. So an example I really like to use here um, is like a billboard advertisement. So you might have a, a contract for a marketing contract for an advertisement to be placed along the side of a highway. So, you know, think of, you know, you're, like you're on the East Coast going right down I-95. That contract might not even mention a billboard. Maybe it just says, hey, you haven't, you can place an advertisement at mile marker, you know, 62. But without that billboard, right, you're not, you're not going to be able to display the ad. So that is an example of an implicit asset. Um, and as we'll, we'll go over a little later, you know, why you see some marketing contracts and things like that are going to be areas, uh, big areas for potential embedded leases. Yeah, the standard goes on to define three different types of leases. You have a short-term lease, which is a lease that has a maximum of maximum term of 12 months or less. 
so this would include all options for renewals, um, regardless of any agency's intent to exercise that option. So again, we have a max term set at 12 months or less. The second type of contract is a contract that transfers owner ownership. So this is kind of similar to you know what you had in the old guidance as a bargain purchase option. Uh, the big difference, obviously, being that it's not an option to purchase. The contract states that the asset will transfer at the end of the term. Um, these contracts also cannot have termination clauses. And the guidance kind of states that these contracts are going to be treated as a, a finance purchase of the underlying asset. And then the third type is basically everything else. <clears throat> so all other leases are going to be treated as a financing lease. So that is another, you know, kind of big change that the, the operating leases or that term operating leases kind of goes away. Um, again, that's a, a shift from what the FASB is doing. The FASB, you still have operating leases and then you have your, your financing or capital leases. The guys we decided we're just going to go with one lease term or one lease type, and they're all going to be financing under the new guidance. Um, this is a retrospective guidance, so again, agencies will have to restate their financial statements. Uh, again, another shift away from what the FASB was doing. The FASB does have some um, <clears throat> some options where you're not restating uh, all prior financial statements, and it's kind of more on a, a go-forward basis. They, the the FASB also had some practical expedients that the, the GASB chose not to, not to follow. But the final point I kind of want to make here is similar to 842, the goal of the new standard is really to increase the transparency of an organization's total debt obligation. So operating leases were kept off balance sheet under the previous guidance. So that debt obligation wasn't always clear to users outside of the organization, users of, of that organization's financial statements. Um, there also was, so there was, that led to a lack of consistency across financial reporting. Um, and it limited, really limited the comparability of entities when a user is looking at their financial statements or other reporting. So what one organization might have considered a, an operating lease, um, maybe another one didn't, right? So the, the rules were not as, were a little more fuzzy. Uh, so the, really the main purpose of this, this standard was to make sure that all leases are being accounted for on the balance sheet and are reported consistently across the organizations to the benefit of of those users of their financial statements and their financial reporting. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like that's the direction of all these standard setters now, the FASB, FASAF, or federal as well. And so it makes sense they're moving that direction. A little bit of differences here and there, as you said. Um, but yeah, I mean, SFAS 54 is kind of similar for the, for the federal side. They're going to start that next year. So a lot of similarities there. Also, this embedded lease concept. Um, but uh, I, I did want to get more into how do you find these things. But even before that, you know, you kind of sp spoke to it a little bit as far as, you know, why is it important to to report these things this way? You kind of explained that. But in, but also, you know, are there any other, um, you know, what are some of the consequences if if your organization does not get this right or, you know, find these leases when they when they try to report out? Yeah, so failure. Um, to properly review all your contracts for, for leases, uh, specifically for embedded leases, you know, obviously can result in omitted lease liability, uh, could lead to errors on an agency's financial statements, uh, right? So if you have, you know, especially if you have material leases that you're not accounting for, you know, your, your financial statements aren't going to be correct. Um, 
This could lead to, to audit findings from, from your auditor. Uh, it could lead to missing deadlines. Um, and, you know, taking all of this kind of a step further, you know, an agency might be forced to go back and restate their financials if embedded leases are identified subsequent to that year of adoption. Um, you know, big consequence coming out of this could be the auditor reporting uh, a material weakness in internal controls. Um, you know, obviously that's going to be a pretty serious finding, and that's going to require a, a lot of additional work, a lot of focus, a lot of follow-up work by the team that could be, you know, spent doing doing other work if, if they took, you know, kind of some of the appropriate um, steps in planning and really kind of, you know, really push to adopt this standard the way it needs to be adopted. Um, I, I'm assuming we're going to see the same thing with audits in the first year of adoption uh, that we did with <clears throat> with the FASB. You know, this is lease accounting with a huge focus area. You know, so agencies really should make sure they're documenting everything they've done to give their auditors confidence that they've appropriately adopted the new standard. Um, some of the areas we've seen that companies are struggling with has been surrounding internal controls for the lease process, um, you know, reviewing new contracts for lease agreements, how are they handling lease modifications? You know, resources, right? Resources are tough. Resources are limited right now. People's bandwidth is stretched. Um, and then another big one that, you know, maybe people don't always think about is employee training, right? So <clears throat> the lease process and lease accounting is not just an accounting issue. Um, it's an organizational issue and it's an organizational process, right? So not everyone that is looking at contracts that might be going through procurement or, you know, maybe it's done by legal, right? Not everyone is an accountant. So you really need to make sure that you're, you're training the team what to be looking for, when to raise their hand, um, if they think they've maybe identified a potential lease so that can get flagged for further review. You know, being able to establish a, a strong ongoing lease process, including reviews of all new contracts really could go a long way to helping identify potential leases or adjustments that need to be captured before they're found after the fact, before they're found by your auditor that could, you know, lead to what we talked about. Uh, missing a deadline, you know, numerous audit findings, uh, things of that nature. Right. Yep. Plenty of uh, repercussions there. Um, yeah, it's a pretty mm -hmm. big deal. This, uh, this statement definitely changes a pretty big chunk of how folks are reporting things, you know, uh, the, putting them on the balance versus the, the old way of reporting these leases. But um, so I did want to get your opinion or thoughts on an approach, you know, how then, you know, can an organization find find these hidden leases? I mean, that's going to be the, the big bulk of work coming up here. You know, what are some approaches that uh, you feel that work pretty well? Yeah, so I'll kind of start this by kind of walking through, you know, just kind of what is an embedded lease, right? And so we'll walk through that and then we'll start to, to touch on a process that you can identify, right? So the, the GASB kind of requires that all leases, not just what you've previously reported, are recognized and measured uh, using the facts and circumstances that existed at the beginning of your implementation. Uh, so, you know, an embedded lease, again, is, is simply just a contract that contains a lease agreement as defined by the GASB. So within a, within a separate contract, one party obtains the right to control the use of an asset 
for a period of time in an exchange or exchange-like transaction. So common contracts that we've seen that you know may could contain embedded leases would be say your IT or hosting services contracts um, that might grant the exclusive use of an asset. So think of like a fiber cable, fiber optic cable. Uh, maybe it's a server. Maybe it's space that's been sectioned off and dedicated just just for your use. You could have third-party managed services. <clears throat> um, so maybe that provider is utilizing equipment to specifically support your agency. That has the potential to be at least. Um, we talked about advertising and marketing contracts, uh, specifically with you know the use of a billboard, right? That has a potential to be an embedded lease. There are distribution contracts where you have trucks or rail cars or planes, maybe even, right, that's used by our foreign agency. And then finally, another one we've seen has kind of been with uh, cafeteria contracts. So using equipment uh, to produce food for the agency employees, you know, maybe in that location, right, that potentially has lease potential uh, and could be considered an embedded lease. I think the, the big takeaway here is that when you're reviewing these contracts, you know, you're probably not going to see the word lease, right? That's probably not going to be included. Uh, so you do have to kind of get creative um, with how you're looking through these contracts and reviewing these contracts. <clears throat> you know, cause you're, you're, odds are you're not going to be able to just open up a PDF copy and do a control F or control find, and, you know, and search for lease or search for asset. And, and you're going to find, oh, here we are. I have this this billboard now that I need to account for, right? So <clears throat> pay attention to the wording in these contracts. Uh, look for something that might demonstrate your ability to control how something is used. Uh, you'll want to look for possessive language that doesn't indicate sharing or uh, a mixed controlled use. So things like exclusive dedicated use, um, restricted use, sole use, right? Terms like that, that are really gonna be helpful in kind of getting you towards identifying whether or not you may have a lease. Um, but kind of going about the process to find them, <clears throat> right, it is, it's a tedious process. Um, it does involve going through your contracts. And so to do that, I think the best way, you know, is to start by thinking about what the different departments are within your agency that have the ability to execute contracts and kind of commit um, commit an obligation for, for your organization. So I don't know if, you know, maybe your organization has a delegation of authorities, right? So that might be a place to start and look for those to see who has that ability to, to do that. So after you've gone through and you've identified the different departments, um, you'll now have a list of, of folks that you want to start interviewing. Um, the next step we kind of like to recommend is setting up a, a kickoff meeting with the leaders of these departments, <clears throat> explain to them kind of what you're doing, what the process is, why you're doing this. Again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, not everyone's gonna be an accountant or know about the standard or even know why you're doing this. So try to focus on the non-accounting facts, right? So as part of this, of a new accounting guidance, we need to perform a review of all contracts to try and review, you know, any potential leases that need to be reported as part of our financial reporting process, right? Kind of don't focus too deep on the definition of a lease or, or what, you know, what the disclosure requirements are, just kind of walking them through why we need to perform this review, why it's important, what some of the consequences might be, uh, things like that to 
help get them understanding what we need to do. And then you can work with them to prepare a list of <clears throat> a list of all the contracts that they have within their departments that that you want to review. So after you have those lists, um, a good idea. The next thing would be to establish working sessions. Uh, so you know, I know our firm you know has developed some accelerators and templates uh, to assist with this process with with these working sessions and, and documenting that. But that's that's the big key, right? Is that documentation. Um, some things you might want to look at, you might want to include would be, you know, a summary listing all of the different contracts that have been reviewed by department. Uh, who are the different stakeholders by department? So who are you meeting with? Who are you talking with? Um, and then summaries of the different working sessions. So who attended these sessions? What contracts were reviewed? What findings did you have? What decisions were made? What open questions might still exist? Um, did you walk through the GASB 87 review criteria, right? So that definition of a lease, did you walk through that? And then finally, what we, something we found has been really helpful has been um, <clears throat> a sign off by the department and the accounting that these were the final findings and this is where we landed. Uh, again, you definitely wanna be thorough with this process as this is gonna be a lot of the support for your auditors. Um, as part of their review of of your, your of your adoption and implementation of that new standard. So after reviewing all these contracts, right, you might be thinking like, finally, I'm done. <laughs> Not quite, but yeah. So there's one other step that that I definitely recommend that I know others on our firm have recommended pursuing, and that's uh, looking at your GL. So taking a targeted look at you know some expense accounts that have recurring payments or payments to maybe short-term expense accounts and cross-checking those with vendors that um, of like the corresponding contracts and that you just reviewed, right? So identifying anything that could result in meeting the definition of a lease um, because if you have some sort of recurring payment that potentially could be for, for an asset that, that maybe you hadn't identified. And then as you go through that and you get some more information on what those expenses are, what they're for, right? You can you can back out things that aren't a lease. And if something that looks like it potentially could be a lease, you can go, you know, go contact that party and in your organization and kind of have a further review of that. But kind of taking those steps, uh, walking through that, doing that review, <clears throat> I think really would get you on a good path for for the transition and for the adoption. Um, you know, but it doesn't really stop there, right? What about the post-adoption? So have you set yourself up for success to continuously be monitoring, uh, continuously be reviewing new contracts releases? You know, that's something that agencies definitely need to be considering as well, is that what's that go-forward process look like? Because it doesn't just stop at, at adoption. Right. Yeah, and that was my next question. You know, what do you do about all the new contracts and, you know, making sure that you do check those? I mean... Any, any best practices that you recommend or, you know, a checklist or I don't know, any, any, any good ideas there? Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the most successful things uh, people can do, I think is adding uh, at least review as part of your procurement process. Um, <clears throat> so this is going to involve training the team, you know, right. So we talked about that earlier. Training is going to be a big factor here. Training is going to be huge for your ongoing your ongoing process and your ongoing compliance and monitoring and review. Um, you know, so kind of going over them 
with that team, you know, what the definition of a lease is, what to be looking for. You know, maybe some of those keywords we've talked about, you want them to be looking through that. Um, <clears throat> we've helped our clients to develop guides and, and checklists that have, that they found to be really helpful. So, you know, remember not everyone's going to be an accountant. Um, <clears throat> they're not going to necessarily have to have an intimate knowledge of this, but they are going to have to have a good enough knowledge that they can maybe flag a contract that's coming through and say, Hey, this looks like this could potentially be the lease, but I want it to be re you know, reviewed by some of the SMEs on our team who are our, our lease accounting experts. So being able to really kind of equip them with some, some easy tools, some simple tools that are easy to follow. And, you know, that can be really helpful in helping you <clears throat> identify leases at, at the beginning of the process and, and not at the end. Right. Yeah, it definitely seems to be the key with a lot of this stuff, you know, catch it way up, you know, before you buy the thing, right? Before you, before you even, you know, create that contract, just have folks, like you said, train them up so they could at least see, oh, this might be a, something to, to look at and then call the accountants, right? <laughs> so that's obviously yep, yeah, exactly. pre prevention, right? It's what the doctor says. So yep. yeah, Pre preventative medicine. Exactly. So, okay, well, this is great. Now this is, I think this has really helped kind of clarify uh, this requirement, as I mentioned, I mean, federal world is going to go through something very similar. They're going to have to implement as well. I think this will give us some great ideas as well. Um, just the last couple of questions for you. Um, I don't know if you had any kind of examples or anecdotes from some of the, the agencies you may have worked with uh, putting this in place. Um, if you if, if so, you could share. And if, if not, maybe you could just give us some final thoughts or best practices for, for folks <laughs> to put this in place. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah, a couple things. So one of the one of the things I did want to touch on was you know, again something that we've seen with a lot of our clients that have you know some of the presentations and knowledge shares that that our team has done it's been around like a software solution. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily need a software solution. You know, but that could be something you want to look at, especially if you have a if your organization has a high volume of leases, right? Um, these solutions can be very helpful. They do have a lot of bells and whistles. <clears throat> um, obviously, that kind of comes with a higher price tag, though, right? You know, those tiering prices are starting to change um, as as more companies are adopting, and, and these organizations are getting more used to to what that volume is going to look like and, and what what needs to be happening. So, you know, as you, if you are looking to go down that software route, you know, make sure you're you're paying attention to those different pay tiers or rates, and and so that you're when you're comparing those solutions with one vendor to another that you're really comparing uh, apples to apples. You also want to make sure you're kind of focusing on the functionality, right? So can it, can it integrate with your GL um, so that those ongoing journal entries can be posted automatically, right? Through, through the push of a button, whether that's from a review that happened prior or not, but you're not having to export, you know, a journal entry template and then manually go post that in your ledger. Uh, it can also really be used as like a, a one-stop shop. <clears throat> so you, a lot of these leases, softwares now, you can put in copies of your contracts. They can handle modifications. Uh, you can put in addresses where the asset is, whether it's a building or an equipment. You could put pictures. Um, you can get renewal or termination option notifications, right? So if you have to provide a notification, say, 90 days out from the lease term, uh, you can start, you can set up notifications so you, you can get those notifications that, hey, you have an upcoming renewal that you need to respond to, and you can kind of start those conversations earlier within your organization. 
they also have a lot of reporting and disclosure needs. Um, <clears throat> so again, these can be some really helpful, really fancy tools to manage your, your leases and your lease population. But again, if you, if you don't have that, right, you don't have a high volume of leases, you know, Microsoft Excel is still great. Um, you know, I know our firm has a, a couple implementation tools that we provide to assist our clients with this process, um, whether it's an, an AI tool that can extract and gather information out of, out of PDFs. Um, we have templates and guides that we've mentioned, checklists to help you go through this process. Um, and then we have a really great tool called Lease Vision, which is basically an Excel-based tool that's really perfect for, for agencies that might be in that 10 to 100, 200 lease category, uh, but aren't looking to to commit to like a full-time software. Uh, so, for, you know, for us, that's kind of a, a one-time fee. Uh, there isn't a, a recurring charge for use. There isn't a recurring charge for if you want to make copies of that, and you can kind of split out uh, different, you know, Excel documents for your asset classes or, you know, things like that. Um, but it does come with a roadmap uh, for your adoption, which is, you know, a 60-plus page document with guidance and guides. It has kind of like a phased approach for you to take to walk through that implementation um, among a lot of other helpful tools. It's, it can produce journal entries, footnotes, your amortization schedules. Um, you know, we received some some great feedback from it. Um, obviously, you can just kind of use Excel yourself if that's what you want to do and build out those amortization schedules. So, you know, software, <clears throat> while uh, while very fancy and can really be helpful, is definitely not going to be for everyone, especially if you have a, a lower volume of leases. Right. Yeah, um, makes sense. Um, so... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, just uh, I was just saying here. Uh, you know, any final thoughts before we kind of close it out here? But uh, like I said again, that sounds you know some great ideas here. Yeah, for me, for me, it's it's you know it's really don't delay, right? This is a it's a large undertaking. Um, make sure you're you're planning it. Is you're you're started planning. You've been planning. Um, keeping ahead of it. You know, make sure you understand the new requirements, you have to review contracts, you're recalculating leases to be financing. You have to do that search for embedded leases, like we talked about, you know, restating your financials. So really just make sure you're planning and that you have the, the right expertise on your team, whether that's a, a consultant or you're, you know, grabbing interdepartment support from within your organization or that's new hiring, right? Just make sure you're working through this so that you aren't rushing at the last minute. Um, you know, if you are going to choose to go a software route, again, I would admit this, I would say start early with the early adopters, you know, especially with FASB, we ran into issues with reporting, not being ready on time. Um, you know, firms weren't necessarily anticipating the massive push or the, the massive amount of customization that might needed to be done. So there were some delays there because the teams were backed up. Um, I'm sure a lot of that's probably been cleared up at this point, but you know, why would you want to risk that, right? Just make sure you're giving, um, yourself plenty of time to make sure you're focused on the adoption. And then finally, the post-adoption is also very important, right? That's the process that you're setting up for that ongoing compliance, that ongoing monitoring to making sure you're still aligned with the new standard. Training is going to be hugely important. You know, make sure you're not skimping on that investment, um, making sure your teams are ready and prepared to be and given the tools that they need to be successful in identifying these leases. You know, that's also going to help you, you know, be confident that you have a great process in place to capture and find leases down the road um, prior to them becoming issues or, you know, leading to a negative audit opinion. 
Okay, well, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks again, Ryan, for uh, joining our podcast. Thanks for the uh, contribution to the AGA Journal as well. And this is a very important and uh, timely topic. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Paul. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org. Find all the podcasts. We have some video ones with the YPs and... uh, yeah, over a hundred now, so looking forward to uh, getting that next hundred in here sometime soon. So until next time we meet, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.